Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cloud Wars Live, where we're exploring today's digital revolution, which in the year 2020 has been a revolution unlike any other with the events we've all lived through for the past eight months, trying to see how that affects our personal lives, our business lives, and those spaces in between if we're still able to preserve some distance between work and life. And we're really excited today. Wonderful guest, Paul Greenberg. He has covered the... Uh, the tech space, software space, especially the CRM world for a long time with a special consulting company that we're going to get him to tell you a little bit about. And also Paul has been sort of a star in the whole podcast and video podcast field as well. Paul Greenberg, it is wonderful to have you. Thanks so much for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. Listen, this is like an honor, man. It really is. About, look, I, I think I used to, I mean, I'm I'm probably dating both of us when I say this, but I go all the way back, literally like reading everything you wrote, right? And then following you through when you went to, you know, into the vendor world and then coming back out. So I got a long history with you and it's, I'm, I'm deliberately leaving out the actual number of years because it's a lot, right? <laughs> yeah. Paul, I became a, a grandfather five weeks ago too. So Whoa. These, uh, yeah. Congrats, man. That's yeah. awesome. Oh, it is. It is. And uh, and getting to do this sort of work we do, getting to talk with people like you, it's really, really right. wonderful. Paul, just start off, give everybody a little bit of a sense where they can find some of your work, because I just want to say to anybody watching this show, if you want to understand really what's going on in the CRM space, you probably all know of Paul, but for anybody who doesn't, Paul, tell us a little bit about where they can find what you do. Well, it's kind of all over the map, actually. I mean, it's like, uh, I literally, I, I'm launching a website shortly, although it's mostly for other reasons, but um, I've never had one. So consequently, I'm sort of published everywhere else, mm -hmm. right? So uh, I, I, the, what I'm best known for and sort of the conglomeration is a, is a book I wrote called Serum Speed of Light, which is went through four editions is in nine languages called the Bible of CRM. And last year I wrote a book, which is slightly more expansive, actually, or not as quite as big. Some of those books got to 800 pages. Um, I wrote a book called um, uh, the Commonwealth of self-interest uh, business success through customer engagement. And it's a 400 page book exploring what, what really has to be done from the standpoint of customer engagement and actually resituating CRM within that because that's a whole part of this thing. And so there's that. I wrote for many years, or I recently stopped doing that uh, with CRM Magazine. Uh, I, have a, I have a blog on ZDNet, which I've written, uh, done since 2009. So people want to find me there. They can certainly find me there. Uh, and of course, my arguably my favorite place, the favorite place to find me aside from, you know, watching Yankee games is uh is actually with brent leary doing a um we do this video show called crm play it's p-l-a-y-a-z we do it thursday 3 p.m eastern time you can find us on linkedin live you can find us on periscope you can find us on facebook live we broadcast on multiple channels simultaneously uh on so every thursday 3 p.m eastern time every friday 3 p.m eastern time we do a sports show related to crm players called eti which those of you who are sports fans will understand what when I tell you what ETI stands for, it stands for excuse the intrusion. And those of you who are sports fans will understand how funny that actually is. Uh, and then uh, and then we also do a happy hour where everyone who's listening is invited and it's just a get together for the industry. So you can always find me there. And, 
and there we just are riffing on on things. And and the other thing you can find uh, you can find me currently doing is <laughs> me and Brent Leary, our the other player, are uh, producing a. It's called BYOB 2020. Bring your own band 2020. It's a <laughs> band competition of 10, 10 corporate bands: Salesforce, uh, SAP, Oracle, Pegasus Systems, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, uh, are literally doing a battle of the bands and they three songs and that you'll see all those songs will go public and be available for public voting uh, on December, I think 14th is the day that they'll be available for public voting, but we'll have them all by the fourth. And there's some promos up right now that you might want to watch. So those are just some of the places you can find me, but that's more than enough. Believe me, I'm an introvert, so I don't want you to find me that much. No, no, uh, clearly, clearly. I, I didn't want to blow your surprise there, Paul. No, that sounds like you are having a blast. And I, I love that, uh, you know, as you explained the title of your second book, how, you know, that your first book about CRM, the Bible of CRM, but then you place it in this larger context of what's going on here. And that, that idea about the commonwealth of it, it is so funny, Paul, I think, sometimes talking to uh, business executives and they'll say, well, yes, you know, we're going to go in this transformation and blah, blah, blah. And they'll talk about their technology and they'll talk about, you know, a certain thing over here where they're going to, you know, shift some people around in the company and, and say, uh, and, you know, the, the customers at the center of everything, right? And well, you know, theoretically that's true, but you have to understand this. And, and if you don't do that, right, it, it's done. So you guys at the center of this thing, uh, putting that customer at the middle of the universe, everything builds out from that. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on how well you think generally come, do they get this or do they just talk about it? It's mostly talk. I mean, it's not that there aren't companies that don't get it. For example, uh, there's a company in Sri Lanka and, and I'm not being, you know, um, I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I mean, this is, there are a few companies and they're global and they're scattered that are exceptional at it. One company in Sri Lanka called Dialog Oxiata, um, it's a telco. It's actually the biggest telco in Sri Lanka. One of the bigger, uh, it's one of the most uh, lauded companies in all of Asia. And they are, they are focused absolutely supremely on the customer in the most fundamental way you can be focused, which is they say that their, their role, their purpose, and this is run through their chief customer officer, Sandra de Zoiza. Their purpose is service from the heart for Sri Lanka. And not, they said, look, we're, we're a company, but we're part of Sri Lankan society, culture, and life. And we have to operate that way, right? And consequently, they think through and are, are measuring and are communicating with customers every single day. And you literally can see the actual technology that they're using, for example, on customer experience and overarching kind of customer engagement, they're kind of, that's through the more through the communication. They have continual uh, outreach that they're doing, continual getting continual feedback, they're acting on feedback, they're informing people about the feedback that they act on. They're doing all the things you do to say, we're part of your life, you're part of our life, you know, this is the one life of the, of the, of Sri Lanka. And so one of the, let's say, business representations of superb, and this is superb if you think about it, is at one point a couple of years back, they were doing this survey and they were trying to figure out what, you know, what do, what do segments of our network need? And they found out in the course of it that they had an ex exceptionally large number of pregnant women on their network. 
So they began, said, let's dig into that a little bit. So, so, so they took that swath and said, hey, uh, what do you actually want from us? What can we, what, what is it that you need? Even if we don't provide it, what is it you need? And it was interesting, routinely they got this. They said, we'd like to have a medical professionals we can go to to answer questions that we don't need to go to with an appointment. I mean, you think about it, it makes sense. You know, number one, they're pregnant. You know, it's not that easy to go travel to appointments all that much. Number two, roads in Sri Lanka aren't great, right? So, you know, just having somebody to talk to without saying, okay, come on down, have, you know, so what, what Dialog Oxiata did is they created a short code service, which, you know, as you know, is for those of you who don't know that, that simply means you use them all the time when you text a number to, uh, on your cell via, uh, via your SMS. And then what comes back is something. That's a short code, right? Some, so the service was medical professionals who would answer questions for people, right? And so what they did was you would text a code. They would probably charge you the equivalent of 25 cents or something, a very inexpensive short code. And what would come back would be, okay, Dr. So-and-so, happy to talk to you on this day, uh, this times, which do you want? What day, what times? Pick your time. You get a call on yourself from that doctor on that day, on that time to answer your question. But I mean, that who thinks of that, right? It's, but, uh, but when you are part of life of a, of a country and of a people, you do think of that. That's, you want to talk about true engagement. That's engagement. I mean, that's how you think of it with the recognition, of course, that you're a business. 99% of the companies that you and I deal with, both practitioner and even the vendors, you know, we deal with quite a bit. Um, they don't practice that. They don't even think about it. And they don't, they don't even, let's put it this way. If you're looking at technology vendors, you have a number of technology vendors who are claiming that they have either CX platforms, which are ridiculously not possible even, and then uh, engagement platforms, which are possible. Uh, and most of them are just CRM with a new name, right? And it's not really engagement. There's a couple that have let's say it's starting to approach to engagement like Pegasystems and a few others, but, um, but most of them is just, it's just verbiage, right? It's words. And I don't mean that they're malintentioned or poorly intentioned or anything like that. They just don't really get it, right? It's just, they, they know that they have to sell it, but they don't know how to actually do it. And that's it, the biggest problem we got. It's hard. It's, it's really, really hard, right? You're doing stuff that technologically maybe people haven't done before but also paul like you're describing with the sri lankan company it's culturally something yeah. almost like at the opposite end of the spectrum that most business executives have been brought up to practice and follow yeah and 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 consequently what happens is you hear them use the words all the time like you know you want to say you don't this is one of those instances where you don't want to say use your words right because <laughs> they're using them wrong right so uh so it's like you hear customer centric all the time. I actually have stopped saying that word really other than to mock it really uh, at, because it's meaningless. I'll give an example. And this is a great example. It's hysterical actually. So I think we all know Ryanair, right? And you know, and they're, what they're known for is basically cheap seats, right? Really, really, really cheap seats. And the CEO is known to, um, let's say he's, speak in an unfiltered way about everything, right? Um, Michael O'Leary, his name is. And so in 2013, Ryanair had a, actually issued two profit warnings and had some trouble, right? 
which is unusual because they're highly profitable normally. So the board of directors of Ryanair went berserk because you know these guys are let's say heavily money focused, and uh, and they said fix it. So Ryanair it develops a program. Its name is currently escaping me, but they developed this program, and it's Ryanair's customer centric program, and it's like. I'm not kidding. <laughs> this is actually part. You can uh, you can bring two bags onto a flight. You can bring your mobile device onto a flight. You can cancel within 24 hours without being charged. They literally would charge you if you had booked a flight and paid for it and called them one second later, you were still charged. Right? I mean, they were that bad. I mean, they're the things that we normally expect of an airline, or not so much anymore, but. Um, they were just doing, but for them, it truly was customer centric. Yeah. And at the end of 2013, things began climbing again. Board of directors was fine. Michael O'Leary makes a public statement and he actually said this. <laughs> he said, if I had known being nice to customers would have worked so well, I would have done it a lot sooner. <laughs> <laughs> right? But, you know, and the good thing about him is, you know, originally I used to think, oh, what a jackass, you know, but I actually realized he's just like, he's just that way. He's not really actually a jackass. He's just like that way. Right. And he says what he thinks without any filter whatsoever. So people are looking for 100% transparency, man, they're going to get it from that guy. Right. So he says this thing, wow. but he, well, but think of this, and this is why I don't talk about customer centrism anymore. And it was customer centric. There's no question. But if 2014, the board said, ah, get rid of that thing. It's gone. Yeah. Right. It's not like DNA level. We want to want to partner with our customers. We want to be concerned about them. You know, empathy is the big word we're all using now. I've literally done five straight presentations on empathy. No joke. <laughs> right. Um, uh, but uh, that's the problem with customer centrism. It's tactical. Right. It's not. DNA, customer engagement, when you're really truly engaging with customers, it is a cultural issue. It is, it's, a, it's an issue where you've actually thought through what the customer is going through. There is some empathy, there is context around it. There's, and there's constant evolution of it. And you are putting the customer's needs and requirements at this, I don't wanna say above yours, cause you're really not, you're a business for God's sake, right? But at least at the same level, understanding that in the long run, not only are you benefiting yourself by doing that, but you're also benefiting others and it actually is meaningful to you. And that's true engagement, right? And that's kind of what the book was focused on or is focused on. Uh, it, it, that, that is a great story. And uh, Paul, I had to tell you when, you know, you, you mentioned that line from O'Leary about, geez, if I had known, you know, customers want us to be nice to them and all that. It reminds me of that a t-shirt I've seen a couple of times, right? And so you take it from customers to employees, you know, the beatings will continue until morale improves. Um, <laughs> you know, hey, I was, I was doing good. it for their own benefit. I'm trying to help. It's pretty good. But uh, not bad. Uh, Paul, yeah, that, that is just, that is a priceless story. Give me a moment here, please, because I want to uh, offer a word from BMC, our sponsor. BMC wants to know, is your business on its A game? That's when systems are intelligent by learning from markets where automation is paramount yet effortless and when technology and people work as one in an enterprise. The A game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com slash A game. 
So, uh, Paul, I wanted to see if come back to you a little bit on this. Um, again, you know more about this, I think, than anybody on earth. But this whole thing going on in the software industry today, right? CX, CRM, CX, CRM. And it's got to be something about more than just terminology, right? Or uh, what prevents somebody who wants to sort of get with the cool thing of customer experience What's the gap that they seem not to be able to get over? Well, half of it's the definition of customer experience is the gap, right? I mean, you know, if you look at the way most companies, at least through our lens, you know, because ultimately a lot of stuff is being shot through our lens, you know, and so um, look at customer experience, they actually look at and you know, and you see it reflected in the messaging around the experience economy a lot, which is Joe Pine's message, by the way. And I, I think people really need to recognize the pioneering work that guy did and did and continues to do, really. Plus, the other thing about Joe is a Yankees fan. So, <laughs> Yankees fan who lives in Minnesota, of all things. So, uh, you know, so anyway, so um, the problem that they tend to have is that they tend to view it in a really uh, narrow lens way, right? Meaning from the vendor side, they wanna say we have CX technology. Well, they don't. Okay, and we'll get to that in a second. From the practitioner side, they tend to view the customer experience in the moment to moment view, right? Meaning, oh, they're angry at us today. Oh, they love us today. Oh, they're angry. And, and that's why you, you know they place so much stock in things like NPS, which I find to be ridiculous. And then, uh, and CSAT, which is actually weirdly less ridiculous, but at the same time, still in the moment measures are not accurate. If they actually start to frame CX the way it should be framed, the, 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 the big CX, it would be how a customer feels about a company over time, <laughs> right? And that over time is the big thing there. Meaning, you know, you know how it's like. I mean, we all, we've talked about you and I, have, uh, you know, independently have talked about this over years. But you know, you, customers will a lot will build up capital in support or in opposition to you, depending on their overarching experience over that time frame. So you know, you, if they have had a great experience with you over years, where they've just said, "Well, you know, they've done what they, they've done what I need all these years, and they've been always so good about it." you make a mistake, they're going to forgive it. If they've had two bad, one or two, or I forget what the numbers are, but one or two bad experiences with you already, and you do a third, they're gone. It's the same third experience that the other one had, but they, you'd already built up all this sort of great capital with them because of the goodness of that experience. But then comes the other facet, which I think people misinterpret. There's a very strong tendency, and this one is completely nuts. Uh, to think that the actual way you build great customer experience and the only way you build it is to delight the customer all the time, which is insane. <laughs> the whole definition delight eliminates the word all the time, right? So <laughs> it's the exception, right? That's the whole purpose of delight, right? It's, wow, that was so much more than I expected, right? And that was very cool. And But the key to delight is that when the, that experience is over, when that momentary impact has occurred, 
they're not thinking, oh, well, I should get that every time. It's just, thank you. That's what yeah. they're thinking. Thank you for that. What you really need to do to build great customer experience is what I've always called, um, keep the ordinary ordinary, <laughs> right? Uh, well, because look, yeah. you know, the other thing is none of us, we, we all talk about, oh, we love this company, we love that company. But let's not misinterpret the use of the word love here, man. It's not like I love my wife, right? <laughs> I don't love the company the same way, okay? I'm not having children with the company. So, well, actually, we didn't have children at all. So it's, I guess in a sense, that part's equal. But, you know, so um, it's just, you know why I love you company? Because when I need something done, which is my purpose for communicating with you at all, it gets done in a very functional, utilitarian, and most importantly, even if it's modestly cool, most importantly, convenient way. You made it easy for me to do it. And that's all I want out of you. I want to be able to do what I'm doing and do it easily and get on to whatever else I need to do with the rest of my life, but not have to deal with you all day and night as a company. And you keep making it easy on me. Look, how much, is Amazon's experience, for example, delightful? No, it's fun sometimes because you're hunting and you know you're going to spend money that you probably shouldn't. But, you know, but what Amazon's just been brilliant at and truly brilliant has nothing to do with the marketing sales or customer service. It's all about the supply chain and logistics, man, the whole thing. They understood that the very fact that they make it easier for you to get something and return it, right, is absolutely the hallmark of the value of that organization. Because what I, if you tell me it's coming on, the, on um, November 5th, then I want it on November 5th. I don't want it on November 11th. Now, what Amazon does, which is wise, and this is why I'm saying on the delight issue, what Amazon does is with Prime, which of course they make zillions of dollars with, with Prime, if they say it's going to be delivered November 6th, um, sometimes it shows up on November 5th. Yeah. And you go, oh, great. Right? They didn't promise it. <laughs> they just did. And not only that, they have nothing to really ultimately say about it other than getting it out of their warehouse on time. Beyond that, it's the courier service that they're using, right? To get it there. So they, in effect, they get the benefit of the courier service delivering it to you early, right? The courier service doesn't get the benefit. They do, no. right? They're, they're very smart. And, you know, look, they have a lot of issues of their own, but not when it comes to that. They understand that customer experience is impacted greatly by the fact that you're just doing what the customer wants in a way that's easy for the customer. And, you know, people who, I'm sure you know Bruce Temkin, of course, right? And Bruce, Bruce, if you look at his writing, his writing from Forrester to the Temkin Group, now even still at the Qualtrics Institute, the guy's brilliant on how he focuses because he focuses customer experience around the functional and the emotional and, you know, I mean, the, the, the elements, but the most important element and the ease, those are the three. And the most important element is literally that I get to do what I need to do in the time I want it done. And, and in a way that doesn't make me feel crappy, right? And that's pretty much what you want out of a company. That's CX. And if you do, that's why, now the good news is that a lot of studies have been done on, um, on service engagement and service interactions, right? Which ultimately impacts your customer experience hugely, especially service. So found that 90, well, it depends on which study, but the lowest end would be 90 and the highest end about 98% of the respondents said that their service interactions are simply queries. What's your address? You know, I want to return things like that. The good news 
about that is that that means a lot of the service experience over time can be automated, right? Because you don't need to. So, and there's, there's two elements to that. One is that it carries out the thing you asked. And secondly, it carries out in the way you asked it. So if I email you as a company and say, hey, I would like, a, I'd like a, your address, please, please text it to me. I don't expect you to hit the reply button and email it back. I'm asking you to text it to me. So that, but all of that mm -hmm. could be automated. And that's, so 90% of that can be automated, let's say. And that means, so my, that's why my advice to companies when I'm dealing with them is always the first line of, of effort has to be to keep the ordinary ordinary. Don't mess up the ordinary because you mess up a thing that somebody's expecting to go easily because it's easy to do. And you want to talk about fury, that's where you get it. You don't get it when you mess up something that they know is going to be hard to begin with. You get it when you mess up something they expect to just simply happen and not be done with. And then all of a sudden there are four hours with you trying to figure out what happened, right? So that's that's CX, okay? In the fun, how many businesses do you know? I'll throw it back to you. How many businesses do you know that actually practice things that way? Yeah, I you know I was thinking, Paul, when you described that example from Amazon Prime about to say you'll get it November sixth, and often it'll arrive November fifth, and exactly what says like, wow, that's great. Well, I it's got to be put in the context, right? And like you said delight over time, uh, not every single time, but have that be the, the experience people, you know, the, the uh, emotion that people generally feel about it. So I thought it was wild. And again, I don't know whether it's 10, 15, 20 years ago, but sometimes the airlines were getting the crap kicked out of them by always being late. So the flight that used to take off at 10 and land at 12, now they said it's going to land at one. And uh, they said, you know, <laughs> Problem yeah, right. We're not late. Right. right. Exactly. <laughs> said, uh, okay. That, that's a real outside in perspective. No, that's perfect, man. That's a perfect example. Yeah, so, like, all right. We'll just stop but, telling uh, you. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, I'm a, so, you know, your question there, I, I love uh, gadgets and power tools and those sorts of things. And I, I felt over time um, pretty good generally about, Lowe's, Home Depot, and some small places around here that I that I shop from, but the, there's a relatively new CEO at Lowe's. His name's Marvin Ellison. I don't know if you've seen him talk or something. No, he has done a turnaround there. It's been remarkable, and I'm sure there's stuff in there like, well, you got to get better pricing on this and better quality of paints and this and that. I find now since he's taken over and I've seen him talk about this a couple of times, he just said, you can't come in and say, we want to do great customer experiences. He said, that's easy. And you know, anybody can do that. He said, you have to deliver it. And he said, it starts with the people. And I know now most times I walk into a Lowe's department store that the employees will say, hello, how are you? And again, I don't want to run us and hug them and, you know, get married and be best friends forever or anything. But it's just little things like that. You you you're in an aisle looking for something a little bit, an employee walking by instead of you know hurrying past and saying, God, I hope that goofy customer doesn't ask me for help. They come up and ask you, and they'll have a little device in their hand. Let me see. You got this in invite. I can get it over here. Do you want me to deliver it to your house? So there, there's always more to be done. And I'm not trying to gloss over and said that because people say, hello, everything is going to be wonderful. But I think this guy, Marvin Ellison, and the way he talked about it and the passion he brought to it. And I think, Paul, he didn't use, you know, the terminology you're using, like keep the normal normal. But he was saying, 
we have to look at the whole spectrum of our operations, you know, from supply chain and inventory, getting the right products in, keeping in touch with our customers, getting that feedback coming in, what, what people buy, what they like, what they don't like. And he said, you've got to treat those people who come in your store to give you money like they are the most important person in your world at that time. And uh, the top down thing, and again, why I opened up asking you about it, what is it that some people seem to get and others don't get it is he really came across to me as somebody who uh, a leader who was not just paying lip service to it, not just trying to read a script of hot topic words that he got off an NPS study. He really meant that. And I could almost like feel it radiate out into the employees at stores that I visited. Well, you see, and that actually goes to a whole other, that little description you gave to a whole other part of the discussion, which is becoming increasingly important, especially during the pandemic. And that's, if there's a, there's a need not just for personalization, but for humanization now. Yeah. And there's, and there is a big difference there. You know, I mean, for people who may not be clear on the difference, because a lot of people interchangeably use personalization, humanization. Personalization is typically data-driven and it's actually designed to optimize an offer to you that has some relevance to you in some way. And give, or at least, even if it's not an offer, provide you with, let's call it algorithmically generated, um, yeah choice set of choices that you feel are meaningful in a way that make you feel valued meaning hey they know enough about me to give me choices that are meaningful to me and i will choose one of them okay that's personalization humanization is the things you were just talking about like hi right where you actually mm -hmm. have human contact but it's but it's even bigger like for i'll tell you a story and this is a good story pre-covid but and kind of you know, first world, but it's still a, it's still a good story. It's um, so um, once a year or twice a year. And yeah, I'm born and raised in New York, so and I love two things about New York besides New York and everything about it. Right? <laughs> well, three things. I love the food. I love Broadway, and I love the Yankees. Right? And I have a relationship as a, a you know ad hoc. You know, always meaning it's unpaid but friendly. I have a very friendly relationship to the Yankees. Uh, management. And so, um, so every year, my wife and I would go to New York, and we would eat great restaurants. And, you know, it was just like a weekend, just a yeah. lovely weekend to yeah. get away. And we go to Broadway without fail. I mean, I have a cousin who actually won the Tony in 2003 for oh, best wow. play, wow. Richard Greenberg. And, and well, the other side is one of the biggest hits on Broadway now is called Come From Away. Yeah. And it's about right. So there's a, I, we've seen it four times. And the reason is, I'm married to someone from Newfoundland, right? So, the, and it's about Newfoundland. But here's even more important, uh, or another little trivia piece here. So there's a central character in Come From Way called Beulah. She's kind of coordinates a lot of the effort. She's kind of a brassy, outspoken person. That's actually my mother-in-law's cousin, right? And I knew, I met her long before Come From Away, right? Over the 30 some odd years I've been going to Newfoundland because I've been married 39, right? So um, so she's a central character. So I have a cousin who wins the Tony for best play. And then I have a, a, another one of Broadway's biggest surprise and major hits in years. And she, we have a relative who's a central character, right? So we go every year and we, I have so many Marriott points from traveling, although not this year, obviously, <laughs> that I, we would just use them at the Ritz-Carlton. So yeah. we would have six days or five days or four days at the Ritz-Carlton that would cost us 
$10.99 for tax, you know, <laughs> right? Which is a pretty good deal. Yeah, it's so, a good deal. We're going to New York one time and um, I'm a platinum. And this is actually where the distinction between personalization and humanization both come in. I get an email from the Ritz Carlton saying, hi, your stay's coming up as married platinum. We look forward to having you. Here's some of the things you can count on when you get here, blah, 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 blah. Sign so-and-so. And you know, if you'd like to communicate, you know, blah, 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 and that happens. That's personalization, meaning from they, I'm a Marriott Platinum. They had some demographics about me. They knew the date of my travel. They knew I was coming for this many days and they adjusted accordingly. Then I get another email from a young woman at the Ritz Carlton um, who says, hi, you know, I'm, I'm gonna be a representative. I'm a representative here. I'm gonna be your representative. Do me a favor, let me know what you're thinking about. What, what are you coming to do? Why are you coming up? So anyway, tell them we're going to see, come from away, we're going to the Yankee game, so on and so forth. So go, uh, we're up there. Uh, she and I had communicated two or three times. I said, we ought to meet. And she said, I have every intention. Of it. I said, I'm a hugger, just beware. So she said, <laughs> okay, right? So she comes, meets me and my wife. We both give her a big hug, so on, right? So then we'll go, we go to come from away that first night. On, and then we come back. And on the door is a bag, and it says in the bag, uh, it's, it literally says, there's a, there's, a, there's a note says, we hope you really enjoyed Come From Away, and we'd like you to have this memento of it. And it's a CD of Come From Away. Nice. That's the first thing. Yeah. Then we're going to the Yankee game on Sunday, and this is where it really gets to humanization, and you'll understand in a sec. So that morning, before we leave for the game, um, they knock on the door and they say, we just have, a, we have something for you before you go to your game. And it's this plate. And on this plate is, a, think of it like a, almost like an easel and a stand. Mm -hmm. And then a bunch of like macar macarons, right? Not macaroons, macarons, <laughs> right? Well, when you're Jewish, there's a definite difference, right? Uh, right, macarons. And, and they say, and these are gluten-free. And on that easel on the stand, is a New York Yankee symbol. And it's made out of white and dark chocolate, the whole thing, right? And the macarons, that gluten-free thing, the only way that we didn't put it in our profile, but my wife was gluten-free. And the, but we had mentioned it at dinner the night before. Uh, and they literally that? took that and that's humanization. How about, yes. That's humanization. How you feel, look, it's become part of my discussion. So, you know, think of it. Right. But, th but that's that, the difference. Personalization, that yeah. first email. Humanization, everything that follows. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I, I, I haven't had anything nearly so, uh, you know, romantic as, you know, macarons and white and dark chocolate for a Yankee symbol. But, Paul, those things, those things are the ones that stick out, right? They, they, they stick out in the same way you walk in someplace and they treat you like they, you, we can't get you out of, the, of, of our business fast enough. You stick out the other way and you know decisions made done you know permanently forever hey paul i wanted to um ask you one last question and then sure. sort of throw it open to you for anything that that you want to bring up so again i i think uh you are a, a world expert in this sort of thing and you, every business i believe at some level whether it's sincere or whether it's just driven by money whatever it is i think every business wants to succeed at 
uh, doing this. And when you walk in and, and talk to executives about this stuff, what's the what's the biggest mistake that they can make in their approach? You know, what what is that one thing that if they don't get past this, they're never going to get to the customer experience nirvana? It's really it's not really a single mistake. It's an approach mm-hmm. that they make that they have the problem with, and it's basically. If you're really seriously committed to doing this, you have to understand you're turning your, you're literally, you're changing your culture, right? And that takes time. And by the way, incentivization too. It takes incentives, right? So you don't just say, we're going to turn our culture and then say to the, uh, all your, let's say your employees, hey, we want you to be customer uh, engaged now. And here's how you're going to do it. The end. You literally, they have something, and that's why the book is called The Commonwealth of Self-Interest, not just the commonwealth or not just interest, right? Meaning every human being on this planet is self-interested without exception. And, that, and that's not a bad thing. It's not selfish. It's self-interested. And that means this. There's seven and a half billion people on the planet. The one thing we have in common, and it's literally the only thing, is we all want to be happy. That's it, right? And on that journey to happiness, we want to be happy, right? We don't want to be like miserable on a journey to happiness unless S&M is our thing. And then probably you do want to be miserable on your journey to happiness, right? So the thing is that that you spend your life trying to figure out how to be happy, right? One way or the other, implicitly, and maybe the way you're happy is the way a lot of people are, which is doing good for others. And that's wonderful. Maybe that's not what makes you happy, although you still should do it just out of responsibility to the planet and earth you're on, but, but you are choosing a path to try to get to a life that you will have, when you leave it, will have been glad you had. Uh, so when you're a business, you have to recognize that all your employees, as much as you as a C-level executive and even a genuine evangelist for DNA level service to the people, uh, you have to make those employees happy too, right? And it's not as simple as happy employee equals happy customer. That is some of it. But it's basically, look, I'm a human being too, and I want to be treated like a human being too. And I'm part. And if you really understand the DNA of engagement and customers with customers, you understand the engagement of employees. A lot of companies think you can mandate engagement or mandate good customer experience by the processes and programs you have, not if your employees are not happy about doing them, you're not gonna, right? So the fir- the big mistake is not taking your employees into the level of account you have to take you- them into. And the second biggest mistake is not giving all this the time it needs to evolve because it's not a six month project. It's, a, it's gonna take you two or three years to get to a, even a reasonable point with this. And then you're gonna have to evolve even more and especially now. Right, so because now your culture literally has to be empathetic, literally, not figuratively, right? And 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 the other thing to recognize now, and this is just general, is, uh, and I'd say this to every company, which is, you're going to be judged later on what you do now, right? And this is not sandbox time in a pandemic, right? What you if you don't step up now, people are going to remember that afterwards. And if you are so dumb that you don't care either then you're just that forget being a dumb businessman. You're a terrible person besides. So, uh, you know, so you need to step up and that's the other side of it, but that has all kinds of implications internally at a business. 
So I, I don't, that would take another pulse. <laughs> so Paul, I think that that's, that that's really helpful in, in a lot of ways. I think companies say, well, we want to, uh, we want to change how we recruit people. It's great. It's a good goal, but it's not, you know, a, an event, you know, we, we flip the switch, you know, right. two weeks later and this whole thing about people, uh, because all the employees in a company, they will engage with people all the time. But as you said, you can't, you can't mandate a good engagement. And if you mandate an engagement, uh, of the wrong kind, it's just going to accelerate the the turnoff for everybody. So uh, really, Paul, great, great stuff. Really have enjoyed this conversation. Uh, and I do believe Same. we could go on for hours here. But let me uh, turn it over to you. You've done lots of thinking, writing, talking about things. I'd love to just turn over the last word to you. Well, um, I guess a few things, a couple of things. First thing is I'm doing a lot. So I'm doing a lot of work now and trying to assess where all this is going to be. And, you know, over the last few years, my primary evolution has come from understanding the, what I used to hope was going to be the broader mandate for CRM and what it's actually become, which is basically technology and systems, right? It's not much more than that and highly operational, you know? Um, so that said, it's also gone from, what used to be interesting and nice to have to necessary. And I think evidenced by the size of the market, it's the largest business technology market in the world now, it's eclipsed everybody. And, and that will continue. However, I now have understood that the engagement picture, not the CX picture, that's symbiotic, but not identical. Engagements when customers, my definition is the ongoing interaction between company and customer offered by the company, chosen by the customer, right? And that's, um, that is the lifeblood of every company and the future of what we have to think of. When you're talking about it from the standpoint of a market, an engagement market is very blob-like right now. It's basically amorphous. It's, it, I actually have identified 29 legitimate technology categories for engagement, none of which compete with each other. <laughs> right. So, and there's no person in the world, no company in the world, including even a company as large as, say, Microsoft, that can possibly do all 29. Yeah. Right. That ecosystem is just too big. However, it is evolving. Now, that has also transformed and the pandemic has just accelerated this. And then I'll have one last thing to say beyond that. The pandemic has accelerated the way e-commerce is being thought of. Right. And a lot of people in the beginning were trying to pass off to me directly, which is astounding. Uh, e-commerce is the fourth pillar of CRM. And in fact, one claimed it was the fourth pillar when CRM was even like founded. And I said, are you really trying to get that over on me of all people? Right? I just wrote an 800 page book on the damn thing, man. I mean, I think I would know if I had heard Give me a little respect before. Right, <laughs> well, right, that's the godfather, I'll play the godfather <laughs> card, right? So, uh, so uh, you know, and, and another company, both, both companies that tried that, just funny, did it after they acquired an e-commerce company. The second company, I publicly called them on it and said, I'll tell you what, if you can show me one piece of collateral that you did prior to the acquisition where you said e-commerce was the fourth pillar of CRM, <laughs> I will support you. They dropped saying that, let's just say right away. Right. So anyway, but what's happened is it's actually created the need to kind of rethink e-commerce a little bit, right? But not from the standpoint of CRM, from the standpoint of how we think about transactions, right? Because historically, 
We have interaction, we have transaction, two different things, right? They're not. In fact, transactions have to be thought of as a subset of interactions, right? Because ultimately you're dealing yeah. with an amazing source of behavioral data when you're looking at transactions. They're not just purchase records, it's a behavioral record, right? And it's phenomenal. As, but if you don't think of it as a subset of interaction, you're going to literally miss the boat, right? So that's one thing I'm working on. The second thing I'm sort of making clear is that one of the big, um, I'll say, it almost became a meme, <laughs> more of a mantra, I guess, of the, of the pandemic era has been, we've, we're now in a uh, uh, sprint to the finish line for digital transformation, and we're all undergoing this massive, everyone's undergoing massive digital transformation, blah, 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 blah. No. Uh-uh, no, right? This isn't digital transformation. We're just using more digital tools for God's sake, right? We're using Zoom. That doesn't mean digital transformation, right? That, so I said, digital transformation means changes in business models. And we're seeing some of that. But to both our points earlier, it also means significant changes in culture. And we're not seeing so much of that yet, right? Right now we're just seeing people trying to get by on what's going on. And you know, just working remotely is not meant to be, is not a fundamental change in culture. It will, in, it will become one over time. So what I'm saying is, look, I'm not denigrating what's going on. It's important because it's made digital transformation eight, as opposed to just the lip service it's been getting for years so much that, you know, pretty much you buy chapstick for the company saying it at this point, uh, you know, the, that, uh, that it's become a real question for companies to try to consider. And as a result of that, I'm saying, look, forget calling this a sprint to the finish line for digital transformation. It's a sprint to the starting line. And that's what we're doing right now. It's a sprint to the starting line and really, really make a point companies out there who are hearing this of understanding that because if you really think you've undergone it because you're all on Zoom remotely, then you're gonna have serious problems in actually starting pretty much now, even once we come out of this pandemic, especially. So that, those are the two things, I guess, that are sort of on my mind, that and getting this band competition done. Well, you're, yeah, you're an impresario here, right? Uh, author, podcaster, video guy, Billy, you know, Bill Graham coming back, uh, reincarnated here. That's wonderful. Well, well I got to tell you one last thing. I'm sorry. Sure. So the name of the award, once you said Bill Graham, that's why. The name of the award is the, for the band winner is the Raving Dave's Award, which was PeopleSoft's band. They played at the Fillmore <laughs> West, right? That's right. That's what made me think. Wow. Of well, no, no, great, great connections and people of a certain vintage. It's our, it's our responsibility to keep these, these things alive. These, Absolutely. They're, they're pretty soon, Paul, there won't be that many people who would ever have heard them. So uh, yeah, that was well done. Paul, this has been a hoot. You are, it's Thanks. just, it's always a joy talking with you. your optimism, your outlook. Uh, I think your genuine care for people along with the encyclopedic knowledge. It, it's a great combination and a great Thank resource. You. Thank, Thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us here at Cloud Wars Live entirely my pleasure really thank you folks thanks to all of you for being with us as well we hope that uh as we move into the holiday season in here some of the the, the big changes in all our lives will allow us to enjoy that as much as possible uh, thanks for being with us here all the best we'll see you next time